they were living lies, not truth, lies. This is God's people. This is Israel. This is Judah. And it's very interesting. We'll study that in about five minutes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible in one year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Today we study Hosea and we'll look at it in about five minutes. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? We are going to go through the very last chapter of Hosea to see what we can learn. Ryan? Have you ever wondered how a God the Bible calls loving and merciful could order the complete annihilation of various peoples? Well, this is what I'm going to be dealing with today on the program. All that's coming up in 20 minutes time, 25 minutes. Janice is here. It's our Friday wrap up question. And that means I can ask a question anywhere from Daniel chapter five to Hosea chapter 14. Ryan and Corey are going to have to answer it on the spot. And I'm going to look to you to see how you answer. Hosea 12, verse 1 and 9 through 14. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also they make a covenant with the Assyrians and oil is carried to Egypt. But I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I have also spoken by the prophets and have multiplied visions. I have given symbols through the witness of the prophets. Though Gilead has idols, surely they are vanity. Though they sacrifice bulls in Gilgal, indeed their altars shall be heaps in the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the country of Syria. Israel served for a spouse, and for a wife he tended sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet he was preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore his Lord will leave the guilt of his bloodshed upon him, and return his reproach upon him. Hosea chapter 12, verse 1 and 9 through 14. Well, we finish the first of the book of 12, Hosea today, Hosea 12, 13 and 14. That's what our reading assignment is. And as we do so, it is fascinating. You know, this world can be a mess. Some would say it's a mess now, and I would agree. There seems to be very little one can do to find that what is good. <laughs> this can be depressing. Unless we look to God and his nature, remember, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. During the time of Hosea, the people of Israel were lost in their own ideas of greatness. They felt as though they were doing well and did not need God. They were believing in lies and developing and depending on others rather than God and their covenant with him. So the Lord sent prophets committed to the truth, like Hosea. Hosea 12.1 highlights the position that northern Israel, or Ephraim, was living in lies. 
and desolation. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must strive to see and know God's truth and the antidote to lies. Now, that's why we sing the words to that great song so loudly and declare that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. There can be no good in our lives outside of following Jesus Christ. You know, it's really true. I remember talking with someone the other day and I said, how are they doing? And they said, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And they said, that, that's a, just a great song, isn't it? It's a great way to express your love for God. Fascinating. We continue reading in chapter 12, God's charge against Ephraim. Then in chapter 13, relentless judgment on Israel. Wow, that's incredible. And then in chapter 14, Israel's restored at last, restored. You know, this is fascinating because Hosea speaks clearly. And if ever there was a prophet in pain, he was in pain. I want to tell you, this is really incredible. So get out your Bible guide, turn to today's passage because it's going to be good. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, go to, or actually write to us or call us and then go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That's a fast way of getting it. And uh, you'll, it'll take you to a donation page. Thank you for your donations. We very much appreciate. And we don't, we don't give you a number because we believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. We, we only want people who are called to give. And if you're called to give, if you sense that in your spirit, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to give. And so, Father, I pray today for those who listen to you and the Holy Spirit help them to hear you in Jesus' name. God is good all the time. Father, we pray that all the time God is good. And, you know, there's a lot of people who don't see that today. And it's very hard to understand. But, Lord, give us wisdom to understand what you're doing in this world right now. Because things just, I mean, they continue to rattle around. So help us, Father, in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, as we look at it, there's one verse we cannot ignore in chapter 12. And that's the first one. Here's what it says. Ephraim feeds on the wind, pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. Also, they make a covenant with the Assyrians and oil is carried to Egypt. That's incredible. You know, Israel was living in lies and depending on foreign alliances rather than depending on God. Rather than depending on God. Depending on foreign alliances rather than depending on God. Beloved, we're called to depend on God. It is easy to live in the lies of this world. We must keep ourselves washed in the word of God every single day. Now, you know, I know there's lots of people who said lots of things and done lots of unwise things, but the wisest thing we can do is say, Lord, I'm going to come to you every morning and I'm going to take your word and I'm going to read it, let it change my life and, and help you. And I, and I really, these last couple of months, I've really been pushing that because we are seeing so much happen in this world below. So we need to remember that the Bible speaks to us today in Jesus' name. Now, that's interesting because go back to the scripture in verse 9. It says, or verse 9 to 10. But I am the Lord, skip eight verses. I am the Lord, your God. Ever since the land of Egypt, I will again make you dwell in tents, as in the days of the appointed feast. 
Did you hear what he said? I will make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I have also spoken about the prophets and I have multiplied visions. I have given symbols through the witnesses of the prophets. He's given symbols, which brings me to the second point. God gave signs and wonders through his prophets, but Israel would not hear them. Signs and wonders confirm an event, but are not the event itself. I know people who are looking, praying for a signs and wonders revival. We need signs and wonders. No, we don't. We need God to move. And you want to know something? Sometimes the signs are not good. Sometimes the wonders are not good. They're wonders and they're signs. We need God to move in this world and to make himself known. Father, I pray today that you would move. And we're not looking for things like that. We're not looking for the symptoms of that. We're looking for you to move, Lord. No matter how good or bad, just move, Lord, and make your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen. That's very important. Hosea says that. Let's go back to the scripture. Hosea 12, 11. Though Gilead has idols, surely they are vanity. Though they sacrifice bulls in Gilgal, indeed, their altars shall be heaps in the furrows of the fields. Jacob fled to the country of Syria. Israel served for a spouse and for a wife. He tended sheep. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. And by a prophet, he has preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore, his Lord will leave the guilt of his bloodshed upon him and return his reproach upon him. I tell you, the God, God is amazing. This was not the first or only time the people of God did not listen to the Lord. We should, I'm just going to tell you, we should always work to hear the Lord. I'm just going to tell you that we should always work to hear the Lord. The Holy Spirit will help us. Now, listen to me carefully. There are about, I'm going to be hyperbolous here, 59 million things that want your attention. Every TV station, every network, every internet station, they want your attention. They want to sell you something. They want to give you something. They want you to do something. We need to listen to the Lord. We don't need to listen to everybody else. We don't need to listen to social media. We need to hear the Lord. And when we hear the Lord, God will speak to us through the power of his Holy Spirit, beloved. He will speak, but it won't be loud. It won't be a ring on our phone. It won't be a notification on our computer. It'll be in our spirit. Oftentimes, in fact, most of the times of my life, God speaks to me quietly. When I spend time with him and settle my mind down, that's when God speaks to me. Beloved, we must hear the Lord today right now. In Jesus' name, help us to hear you. We said together, amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul.
Today, to go along with our journey through the prophets, I want to talk about the love and the mercy of God. Because throughout the Bible, we read all about God's great love and mercy, but at the same time, we see God ordering the annihilation of certain peoples and nations. Now, one example of this is God's destruction of Israel and Judah, as we read about in the prophets. But there are other instances of divine destruction as well, like the complete eradication of the Canaanites, the leveling of Sodom and Gomorrah, the world-ending global flood, as well as the yet-to-come judgment of the entire world. So the ultimate question is, if God is truly loving and merciful, then how could he order such destruction? Let's study. Although the Bible repeatedly declares that God is loving and merciful, there are several occasions where divine order is given to destroy, and in some cases to totally and utterly destroy, certain nations and cities. Numbered among these are the complete annihilation of the Canaanites, the leveling of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the world-ending global flood. In fact, God even destroyed his beloved Jerusalem and exiled his own people off into a foreign land. It is such egregious acts which have caused many to reject God as loving and merciful, viewing him instead as a deity who required appeasement and blood sacrifice to satisfy his capricious lust. However, this cynical view of the Almighty is completely ignorant and unfounded. For one thing, these critics want to separate the God who is merciful and loving from the God who is righteous and just. But these gods are one and the same. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 could not make this more clear. It first declares God to be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, but goes on to say that he will by no means clear the guilty, even visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children. As Paul the Apostle put it, behold then the goodness and severity of God. To be sure, God is merciful and full of compassion and promises to save and have pity on anyone who repents and calls upon him. But God is also just, and therefore does not extend mercy to those who refuse to repent, but administers justice. And this fact relates to another problem with the critics' view of God. The reason God brought destruction on certain peoples was because they violently and steadfastly impeded or opposed his work over a long period of time. Indeed, in each and every case, God gave ample time and opportunity for the people to turn to him and live. For example, God waited many years before judging the world with a flood. In fact, he did not bring the watery cataclysm until all flesh had corrupted their way and violence had filled the whole earth. He even sent Noah as a preacher of righteousness, but they ignored the warnings and continued on with their everyday lives, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Similarly, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were so wicked that not even 10 righteous could be found there. The outcry against them was very great, yet God waited more than three centuries before destroying those cities, and he even sent them Lot, who according to the Apostle Peter, was considered a righteous man. Even the Canaanites, who committed many vile practices, including child sacrifice, sodomy, and bestiality, were given over 400 years of mercy and grace to turn from their wicked ways. And as the prostitute Rahab herself testified, her people knew who the God of Israel was. And the kingdoms of Israel and Judah were given roughly 750 and 900 years respectively and were sent numerous warnings through many of God's prophets before the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Assyrians and Babylonians. Clearly, God is merciful and loving, as well as long-suffering, 
and desires everyone to turn from their wicked ways and live. So you can see from the get-go that the critics' view of God is just plain wrong. Because for one thing, they want to separate the God who is merciful and loving from the God who is righteous and just. Of course, the Bible does teach that God is merciful and full of compassion and promises to save and have pity on anyone who repents and calls upon him. But it also teaches that God is just and so doesn't extend mercy to those who refuse to repent but administers justice. The second problem with the critics' view of God as bloodthirsty is that God specifically brought destruction on those who violently and continually impeded or opposed his work over a long period of time. And this actually leads into a third and main reason why the critics' view of God is completely unfounded. See, the critics' accusation that God isn't loving and merciful fails because the destruction of such evil nations was in itself an act of love and mercy. As I just mentioned before, anyone who continued to violently impede or oppose God's work over a long period of time was destroyed. And what is God's work? What is his work exactly? Well, ultimately, it's the redemption of the whole world through the Messiah. And any attempt by Satan and or man to thwart that had to be stopped. And sadly, many people in the world today still actively oppose the work of God. And eventually, they also will face judgment, ultimate judgment. So let's be wise and use this long period of grace, which has now been nearly 2,000 years, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and live. As the prophet Isaiah warned in chapter 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Very true, Ryan. Thank you. You simply say, uh, and this is the best way to articulate this, you simply say, Lord Jesus, I, I believe you said you were God. I believe you were, and I believe you're fully man, and you died on the cross and rose again. I need you in my life. Help me, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you're serious, and if you're... If you're like me, if you're desperate enough, God will come in and change you. That's very, very important. Very good, Ryan. Thank you. Excellent. Corey? All right. I want to talk about Hosea chapter 14. This is the final chapter of Hosea. And Hosea has been, uh, you know, preaching against northern Israel. I mean, on yesterday's program, you and I took a look at Hosea chapter 10, where God, through Hosea, presents the northern kingdom of Israel as beyond repentance. Like, judgment is coming no matter what they do at this point, because they're just so far gone. But then we get to Hosea chapter 14, and this is what happens after the judgment of God. So this is this is showing the judgment of God here uh, where uh, its ultimate outcome for northern Israel, what he's hoping for it. So essentially it's judgment God's judgment for their sin was supposed to lead to repentance and that repentance uh, led to the forgiveness of God. Uh, and and there's something beautiful that happens afterwards. So so let's look at Hosea 14, the very first verse Hosea says, "Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him. So what words should they take? I love that. They don't have anything they can give. Take words with you. What words should they say? It says, say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips, that we may praise you once again, right? Those fruits of the lips. 
Now, what are they to confess here? Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war, houses, war horses. So our, we are not depending on the wrong things anymore. We're not depending on ourselves or on human strength or animal strength. We, we will depend on you. And then again in verse three, we will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. So they're repenting of their idolatry. And then it says this, for in you, the fatherless find compassion. So essentially God's salvation, his forgiveness is likened to a man accepting needy children. And then God goes on to describe how he's going to heal their waywardness, how he's going to love them freely and plant them like this, this majestic cedar of Lebanon, right? Uh, but I, I want to bring you down to what the results of this judgment and, and repentance and forgiveness has brought in the life of Ephraim. In verse eight, it says this, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. So this is God speaking to Ephraim. Your fruitfulness comes from me. So What's really interesting is this is one of the very last verses of Hosea chapter 14, and it's referencing Ephraim's original attitude that's talked about in Hosea chapter two, which is that they believed that their success in life, their their food, their uh, economic prowess was from their idolatry. And through the system of judgment and repentance and forgiveness, they have learned that it's not idols, Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? But their fruitfulness comes from God alone. Your fruitfulness comes from me. And if you go back to Hosea chapter two, the, the demonstration that they had been trusting in the wrong things, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. So that's Israel thinking that. Um, and then in verse eight, she has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her silver and gold. That's God speaking. And then verse 12, God speaking again, I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. Okay, so there's this, this the judgment that God brings for sin leads to repentance. It can lead to forgiveness and it will ultimately lead to a recognition of who God actually is. So there is a correcting element, you know, in our lives when we're going through difficult times, when we're go we need to ask God, why are we going through this difficult time? Is there something that you wanna show me? Is there something that I need to learn about you? It's not always going to be the case, but this is a really good takeaway because God's correction always leads, if we respond correctly to it, it always leads to a deeper understanding, a correct understanding of who he is. And there are people today who are believing that uh, in, a, in a God that they call the God of heaven and it's not. Right. Uh, there are many people today who believe, well, if God gives me this or God gives me that, but it's not God. Mm -hmm. And they're being led along. Mm -hmm. And they say they're Christians. They're not. I know it's, it's a very line. scary thing. We need to pay attention to the scripture. We need to pay attention to what God says. And then we need to be, we need to be praying to him in our lives and asking him to reveal himself to us. And, uh, yeah. he will. Very, very good, Corey. Thank you so much. And I just want to say, before we get to the Bible IQ question, 
there is a gentleman by the name of Greg. He is awesome, South Carolina. And Greg is, he's my, he bought me a jersey and it is, it rocks, <laughs> okay? It's a Maple Leaf jersey, I'm just saying. And I wear it. Because you're hockey fans. I am. Both you and Greg. Both we are, mm-hmm. we are. And anyway, he, he said to me last week, he called me, he said, you know what? I didn't get the question. I didn't get the question. And I said, that's okay. A lot of people didn't. Maybe you'll get it today, Greg. He gets it a lot. He's very well. He knows his Bible. He's very well. Okay. So but like I say, like I say, when we get it wrong, it's okay because it's we learn. You We're have learning. The Bible. We learn. We're learning. Go ahead. All What's right. the question? So here we are today. I could ask anywhere from Daniel 5 to Hosea 14. Lots of information in here. So Ryan and Corey, get ready. You at home, get ready. It, Greg, is, an get open, ready. it is an open book test. You know, you can turn to the pages you if can't you, open if your you know <laughs> question. I will, I will leave mine no, at Hosea 14, exactly. where, where we looked at today. <laughs> All right. So here's the question. What great river was Daniel by when he had the vision of the glorious man clothed in linen whose waist was bound with gold of Euphaz? I'm going to read it again because there's people at home going, it's Daniel. (laughs) What great river was Daniel by when he had the vision of the glorious man clothed in linen whose waist was bound with gold of Euphaz? Here are your three options. The Tigris, the Nile or the Euphrates? Which great river was Daniel by? The Tigris, the Nile, or the Euphrates? No Take a giving, guess, Greg. No giving uh, signals I didn't, or anything I am not giving back any here. signals. Just because some people don't like <laughs> to be encouraged or... You know, so mm-hmm. have you have you yeah. come to some kind yeah, of an we agreement? Think, we here? think we know. Yeah, we think you know? we know. Yeah. All right. We think it's the Tigris. All right. Well, I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 10, verse 4, to reveal the answer. Let's see if you got it right or if Ryan and Corey got it right. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is, the Tigris. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz. If you said the Tigris, you got it right. I want to remind you that we have a prayer meeting on Facebook and YouTube and also on Bible Discovery TV Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30. And I want to invite you to join us at that time in New York time or Eastern time of the United States of America, wherever you are, and we'll pray for you. I want to also pray for you today and Father in Jesus' name, help us to hear your word. Help us to hear you, Lord, because we need to seek your face. So many things are competing for our attention. We need to just go to our prayer closet. Just get away from all this stuff. In Jesus' name, amen.